You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. Cyberwire X. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Cyberwire X, a new series of specials designed to highlight important security topics that are impacting individuals and organizations all over the world. This is the first of a four-part series called Ground Truth or Consequences, the challenges and opportunities of regulation in cyberspace. Today, we're focusing on the United States, particularly the patchwork of regulation and standards of practice emerging across the country. We'll discuss how new laws are affecting companies and, of course, their treatment of cyber risk and the ways organizations prepare. A program note, each CyberWire X specials features two segments. In the first half of the show, we'll hear from industry experts on the topic at hand, And in the second half, we'll check in with our show sponsor for their point of view. And speaking of sponsors, a word from our sponsor, Jamalto. Your enterprise is rich with sensitive data, at rest and in motion throughout the network. But what happens if that sensitive data isn't secure or if it's improperly accessed? We're guessing that regardless of what defenses you have currently implemented, the thought of your data being stolen or manipulated keeps you up at night. Jamalto tackles the two main causes of cyber attacks, identity theft and data breaches. They do this by providing next-generation digital security, built from two technologies, secure digital identification and data encryption. Jamalto already operates these solutions for many well-known businesses and governments, protecting trillions of data exchanges. And as independent security experts, they guarantee digital privacy and compliance with data protection regulations. Jamalto puts you back in control of your own data. Visit Jamalto today to learn more about their access management and data protection solutions. You can also check out the most recent findings from the Breach Level Index, which tracks the volume and sources of stolen data records. Go to jamalto.com slash cyberwire to subscribe and learn more. That's jamalto.com slash cyberwire. And we thank Jamalto for sponsoring our show. For quite a long time, we had very little in the way of, of cyber privacy law in the U.S. That's Randy Sabet. He's special counsel at Cooley LLP. We had Computer Fraud and Abuse Act, and we had the Electronic Communications Privacy Act, which really deal with unauthorized access to computers, mostly from a criminal perspective, and then dealing with surveillance, neither one of which was really applicable to the problems that we saw starting to crop up once the the commercial internet took off. Privacy laws, cybersecurity laws, have really grown up over time in the U.S., That's Dr. Christopher Pearson. He's CEO and founder of Black Cloak. He's a distinguished fellow at the Poneman Institute and former chief security officer and general counsel at ViewPost. Some of these things started in the 70s with the Fair Credit Reporting Act, more around access to records, access to information, and then adding on a little bit of identity theft protection later on in 2003. Security-wise, things really started a lot with HIPAA in in 19... uh, in 1996 and with the Graham-Leach-Bliley Act a few years later in 1999, GLBA very much modeled after HIPAA. And that's where you start to see them having two different rules. You know, there's a, a privacy rule to the law and a safeguards rule to the law. 
but it was very sectoral, right? HIPAA applying to the healthcare, medical information, private health information, protected health records, and GLBA, you know, applying to financial services, banking, that area of things. Uh, of course, right, NIST applying to the government sector, but it was still at a federal level, very sectoral. And we saw that emerging in the, the mid to late 90s, those rules really coming into play in the early 2000s. And, and I would trace things back to around that point in time for serious discussions around privacy and cybersecurity. And I think the first real notable aspect of privacy or cyber law in the U.S. was on the state side when California put in place the, the first Data Breach Notification Act in 2003. When, when you combine those two, which are federal laws, with the California state law, none of them are overarching or sweeping or cover everyone's information of all types. But at the end of the day, neither one of them was a, a broad, overarching federal law related to privacy or cybersecurity. We started having data breaches and, and issues pop up. Not much was happening with it until there was a breach of a California state system. And then all of a sudden, there was a lot of activity and the law ended up passing. Hmm. And so with that passage uh, of SB 1386, you wound up with now a starting point from which all other states could follow. But everything has been bottom up in the sense of it's reactive and it's approaching things in the narrowest way possible. You have those sectoral federal laws starting. Um, then you have some individual area law of law starting, you know, the, the Can Spam Act in terms of trying to stem the tide of uh, uh, spam uh, email. And you saw the states starting to go ahead and peck away at things. Um, you know, as privacy and cybersecurity have evolved, it really started a lot in the federal side. Uh, but then you see states saying, hmm, we're going to go ahead and do some experiments here. And, you know, it's kind of the Petri dish experiment. A certain number of states start with that experiment, you know, uh, uh, controlling uh, spam messages would be one example. You know, something like 36, 40 states having anti-spam laws, and then the federal government passes a federal law. Um, it hasn't worked that way necessarily in data breach laws, uh, where all 50 states have data breach laws, but there is no one uh, one covering uh, law that provides uh, federal data breach uh, notices. You do have a little bit in HIPAA, you do have a little bit in Gramm-Leach-Bliley, and you do for federal side. Uh, but once again, you know, this patchwork quilt of adding state by state by state and topic by topic by topic. And it continues to evolve. Um, you know, it continues to evolve. Right now, we're actually uh, dealing with a few different states, Illinois, Washington, and Texas, that have uh, biometric acts, uh, which is kind of interesting because biometrics are a huge, huge uh, benefit for security. Uh, but on the flip side, right, they're a detractor in terms of privacy. Uh, Illinois has the uh, Biometric Information Protection Act, which basically says you can't go ahead and collect uh, biometrics on individuals uh, unless you provide them notice, achieve, achieve uh, written consent, and specify time and length of destruction, how you're going to safeguard it, and if any of the information is going to be passed on to other folks, other people, other companies that are supporting you in those exercises. And you have some 50 lawsuits right now, uh, class action suits in Illinois around this very topic from Facebook pictures being tagged, Shutterfly images being tagged, um, as well as, uh, you know, for time tracking, it's called buddy punching, for time tracking uh, at work using the biometric, usually a fingerprint, to clock in and out for hourly workers. So, you know, now we're even more broad, more diverse in terms of the number of subjects that are being covered at the state level. 
the data really is the power here. I, I think that we're at a place right now where companies have large treasure troves of data. They continue to enrich it to study the consumer uh, that they have in front of them. Uh, and others uh, are more interested now than ever in gaining access to that so that they can analyze it, assess it, and use it for other less intended ways or non-intended ways uh, than when the information was given in the first place. And that's something that we have to grapple with. And really, we need to grapple with at a federal level in the U.S. Uh, We can't do this state by state, especially on this scale. This has to be something where companies know what to expect, customers know what to expect. Uh, We're aware of those rights. We're aware of those responsibilities. And we're actually able to ask companies and seek what information they have and hold on us and find ways to mitigate privacy uh, uh, harms uh, throughout. We now have California, again, leading the pack with the California Consumer Privacy Act. You can see many commentators calling this the first GDPR-like law here in the U.S. Uh, I actually contend it goes a little bit further because it's got things that are going to be even more challenging for companies in terms of the what I call the same services provision, which says, you know, if a consumer comes to a website and they don't want to share their personal data, they have the right to do that, but they are still allowed to get the same services. I personally believe that's going to potentially break at least some of the economic model on the internet, because for a lot of those services that you get for free, it's really not free. It's because you've given the company your personal data. So I think what we're seeing here is a a transition from laws that have been very reactive, very narrow, to now looking more broadly, being more proactive. Um, there's a lot of talk on the Hill about you know some federal laws potentially passing. Uh, data breach notification is one that has gotten a lot of discussion. Um, I saw a discussion on a website yesterday, um, one of the Politico websites, about uh, a new bill that dropped that would essentially create, for certain types of companies, essentially very large companies, potentially criminal penalties for the executives of the companies if things you know, go bad from a privacy or security perspective. So I think we're tightening up. Uh, we, the U.S., I think things are getting more attention when, when it comes to privacy and security. Um, I just, my fear is that some of these laws, if they're not well thought out or if they're passed too quickly, they may sound good at the front end, and then on the back end, there are some really bad repercussions. I think that there's going to have to be something that gets tackled sooner rather than later, and I think that one might be a little more palatable at the federal level. But once again, right now, people seem to have their feet, all sides, all parties, people seem to have their feet stuck in in cement on this issue. Uh, And the number of committees that claim ownership of cybersecurity which privacy does fit into, and vicariously privacy, uh, there's just too many committees, too much overlap to really get something done unless there's a watershed moment. I don't know what that watershed moment is. Is it all 300 and, what is it, 50 million? Uh, you know, is it the whole Social Security Administration, uh, the IRS being hacked and everything being out there for sale on the internet? I don't know what the watershed moment is. I thought OPM was as close as we could get. I thought Equifax was uh, pretty much there. Um, so I don't know what other watershed moment there is to kind of bring people, uh, bring politicians together in terms of let's go ahead and tackle this uh, together uh, in, a, in a bipartisan way or in a nonpartisan way, excuse me, um, that will actually 
get things done, get things accomplished and, and help enable consumers to make wise choices and also add some clarity for companies. I mean, not all of this is on the consumer side. On the company side, companies are clamoring for certainty, for clarity, for better understanding as to what they need to do, why they need to do it, how they need to do it. You know, dealing with 50 states, dealing with, is it healthcare information? Is it financial information? I have both. What laws, rules apply um, is quite confounding. It'd be better for them to pay attention to their products and their customers than these humongous Excel spreadsheets and Gantt charts and, and uh, uh, you know, governance, risk, and compliance systems that have all these laws loaded into it. It'd be better for there to be something that's more omnibus uh, that they can actually point to. To me, it's a combination of risk appetite or risk acceptance and technical and physical and procedural controls and the overall approach of the company when it comes to privacy and security. It's obviously, it's not a black and white bright line, you know, this is good and this is not good. It's, there's a lot of gray in the middle. And we don't have a history yet from an enforcement perspective to understand what the regulators are going to do with these new laws, whether it be California or if a new state spins something up or, or GDPR. But I, I still think there's a lot of uncertainty and companies don't quite know how to handle certain scenarios or certain situations. There's no one you know, product, service, or combination thereof that is going to protect everyone's data all the time, period. So we have to be able to live in a world where businesses are able to grow, able to be successful, able to be transparent and responsible and communicate effectively with the consumers and consumers can make choices based off of those different criteria. I think first of all, we need regulation. That's Jason Hart. He's chief technology officer for enterprise and cybersecurity from our show sponsors, Jamalto. There's particular types of market segments, so financial institutes, federal agencies, healthcare organizations, which hold some extremely sensitive data. So for me, having regulation standards around how data is protected, it's, it's fundamental. And, but how are we doing? Are, are we overregulated? Or do, I, particularly, I, I think when it comes to privacy, there's certainly uh, calls here in the U.S. that uh, we need more attention here. I think if you, if you look at the demographics of the U.S., you have federal law, you have state law. And then within those demographics, you know, there's different regulation requirements. Hmm. Surely, as a country, we should start standardizing and making it less confusing for organizations and businesses. How does GDPR serve as a model for the U.S.? So the key premise around GDPR is it's about uh, personal identifiable information, which you know captures a, a lot of uh, sensitive data and types of data. So for me, what I like about GDPR and the way I look at it, it focuses on the data, the types of data, and then ensuring that the appropriate risks are reduced around data. I can look at regulations in the U.S., you know, like HIPAA, FISMA, et cetera, hmm. which again, it's all about the data. So from a regulation point of view, let's just focus on what the bad guys are after. Bad guys want data. They don't care what type of data. If they can get access to the data, they're going to monetize it and use it to make money, to use, to conduct other forms of attack. So let's really st try and standardize on, right, if you hold these certain types of data, these are the mandatory requirements around the processing, the use of that data. But don't you think there's also a, a trust issue here as well? I mean, you know, you, you say uh, the, the bad guys are after the data, which certainly is true, but I think 
there's, uh, there's concern here that uh, the good guys are after the data as well. Yes, so the sharing and the ownership of data is nothing new. We can go all the way back to the Egyptians. Hmm. You know, we have something called encryption or cryptography, and we then, and also when you protect data with cryptography or encryption, you actually generate a key. So really it comes down to the custodianship of who has access to data and who can control the data. That's ultimately what it's about. And we recently had uh, California passing legislation uh, when it comes to IoT um, and uh, net neutrality. Can the state serve as, as sort of a, a test bed for these uh, regulations, but then ultimately uh, for consistency, do they have to shift to the federal level? I think the states, you know, being used as the test bed, you know, let's take IoT. You know, if you're in a state and you're creating IoT, there needs to be certainly mandatory um, mechanisms within the technology to protect the data, etc. I think it's it's fantastic. But let's look at it at a federal level. Or, or let me, you know, let me take the UK as an example. Mm. Um, I have three children. I have three boys. Mm-hmm. I know if I buy a a toy or a child's item in the UK, that it, it has a kite mark. It's gone through various testing and it meets certain standards. Right. So, surely from a technology point of view, new tech, IoT, going to edge computer, whatever. Because of the, you know, the world is using it or, you know, consumers are using that, surely there should be a fundamental standard to say, look, if you're coming to market with a particular technology that is capturing data, generating data, you know, has sensitive types of data, there should be a minimum mandatory requirement that that is protected and it's controlled. And it's no different to a toy when I buy it in the UK. I know if I buy that toy, it's safe. It hasn't got lead paint on or it hasn't got bits that my child is going to choke on. Right. Surely we just take what we've done in, in previous lives and other industries and apply that mandatory requirement to that new toy being a technology coming forward. Do you see organizations being able to use that as a competitive advantage? I'm thinking specifically of things like um, security cameras, you know, Mm -hmm. where uh, if I want to, certainly if I'm shopping, uh, a consumer who's shopping, well, they're going to may go on to Amazon and find the cheapest camera available. Uh, But is there an opportunity for if these standards are established, that that could be a competitive edge to say this this device meets all of the safety, security and privacy uh, standards that have been established by XYZ organization? I think privacy for individuals is becoming a, a bigger need hmm. for, for the user. So if we actually talk about user needs, technology is evolving at a pace we've never ever seen before and is going to continue. From a demographic point of view, you know, that technology is hitting a generation, I'm 46, where maybe not, you know, my wife, you know, she, she can barely use an iPhone, and for, you know. Mm-hmm. So th- there's the advancement, so there's a gap. So for that demographic... We don't make it easy for them to understand security and privacy or actually enable the ability for them to provide, you know, simpler, easier privacy controls and protection mechanisms. Then we've got another demographic coming through, another generation who essentially privacy doesn't always mean anything to them. They're the social networking generation where actually they tell the world about their life. Right. So from a technology point of view, I think we, we need to make it simpler or easier for people or users to actually enable that additional protection mechanism. We need to do some things by default. And also, more importantly, which we don't see today, is actually give people the option to actually enable a higher level of security Mm -hmm. and allow them to consume it, switch it on in a way that they understand or can do easily. 
So for me, we have multiple personas of generations, people who get security, people who don't get security, people who, who, you know, privacy is not an issue. Depending on that demographic or that persona, the technology needs to map to them in a very simple way for them to consume and enable security control. Now, when you are advising companies on how to handle uh, regulation, I'm thinking specifically of uh, the potential uncertainty, because this is uh, an industry, a world that is changing rapidly, um, and it seems as though the pace of change does nothing but accelerate. How do you advise organizations to be able to plan for the uncertainty of, of the potential changing landscape of regulation? Let's take PCI as an example, you know. So the objective is to protect, you know, payment card, transactional information and, and credit card details, etc. So ultimately the sensitive data around credit cards. So let's think like a bad guy. Hmm. I'm a bad guy and I want to target an, org- uh, an organization which may be PCI uh, compliant. I know that that organization is going to be doing, following the PCI compliance requirement to the letter. So data at rest, you know, is going to have particular security controls, etc. But let's just step back and be very situational aware. Let's look at that organization and look at the life cycle of that data. PCI says you shall do X, Y, and Z. Brilliant. But if you slightly come out of that X, Y, or Z, are you going to follow that mandatory requirement? Regulatory requirements doesn't always prevent the breach from occurring because the bad guy sits back and looks to the left and to the right of that regulatory requirement mm-hmm. or that standard. So now, as an organisation, so when we go in and we talk about you know you know the particular regulatory requirement and how you apply cryptographic controls, my advice is look to the left and look to the right as well. Look at that whole supply chain of where the process, the people, the data, and the technology is coming together. Because what I see is organisations following regulatory requirements to the letter. But don't look to the left and to the right and have that situational awareness to say, okay, in addition to I'm following this, what is that actually the full process and the flow of that data? Think like a bad guy. Hence why we still see these breaches occurring where regulation and standards are in place. But guess what? There's still breaches occurring because the bad guy is looking to the left and to the right. Does that make sense? It, it does. So, so is the notion that, that the regulations, rather than being the obligation, the complete obligation that perhaps you look at them as being a starting point, the minimum. Totally. And again, it's, I hate it. People say, we're, you know, we have this standard and we have this process or we have this regulatory requirement, you know, we're compliant to the hills. It doesn't always mean that they're, you know, they, they're susceptible, you know, they're still potentially susceptible to a breach or an attack. And mm. a lot of these organizations still are breached and compromised because when they're following it to the letter, they, they don't, actually look at the other and broader risks as well. And I think we need a a slightly more open approach to say, okay, if we're doing things right in the first place, you should quite easily meet the regulatory requirements anyway. So for me, if I'm an organization, there's so much confusion. Do I go this standard? Do I do this regulatory requirement? I have to do this. I have to do that. Why don't we just say, do things properly you know, protect the data because that's all the, the bad guys want. When you're protecting the data, ensure the appropriate security controls are there. And then, you know, just follow the basics. Do the fundamental basics of information security. Think about the confidentiality, the integrity, the accountability, and the auditability. 
and apply the appropriate controls where required. Do you suppose people fall into the trap of, of checking off boxes? I can imagine the, the, you know, the legal department coming to the technical people and saying, you know, are we compliant here? Yes, we are. All right, check. Are we compliant here? Yes, we are. Check. All right, we're good. And then, so why are we spending all this money on this? We're compliant. Compliancy doesn't mean that an organization is secure hmm. at all. And again, it's this false sense of security. Oh, you know, we, we, we've ticked a box. It doesn't mean anything at all. You're only as secure as the control you're applying. Um, and that does frustrate me a lot. What's an effective way for me to communicate that message to my board of directors? Great question. So from a board perspective, they don't know the technical requirements, okay, or the detail. So if I'm a board member, I have a sense of responsibility to my customer base, my employees, and in addition to any data that I'm holding on any individual or anything. On top of that, I may have some IP, some trademarks, etc. So as a board member, I want to see a list of data assets in my organization. So, you know, when I go to sleep at night, I'm wearing, you know, am I going to be breached? Am I going to be a target? If I know what I'm trying to protect and why I'm trying to protect it, that's the starting point. They don't need to know about the, the technical detail. Some types of data are going to have a higher level of risk or value or... Uh, impact in the event that that data is compromised and public. Once you know that and have that visual map or understanding, you can start applying the controls to a particular level to mitigate those risks. Wouldn't it be great if suddenly, uh, as a board member, I, I was told, "Sorry, Mr. Board Member, Mr. Hart, um, we were compromised yesterday." You know, straight away I'm thinking, "Okay, reputational impact, press releases, whatever." But as a board member, if I've gone through that process I've just outlined, my, my response is go, in, go out, you know, do data disclosure, uh, breach notice disclosure that we've been breached. But it was a secure breach. We identified the breach. The data was compromised. But the data is rendered useless because we're applying the, uh, the basic security controls. The data was encrypted. And basically, we still own the key. And that key is very, very secure and very safe. So the data that was compromised has been rendered useless because we were doing the basics. This is called cryptography. It's called encryption. It's key management. People need to start applying those basic security controls. Cryptography and key management has been around for hundreds of years. The problem is very few organizations are actually applying it. Why do you think that is? People deem it to be very technical, very geeky, very complicated. It's not. We're in a world of technology now where technology is simpler, easier to consume. If you apply the appropriate cryptography controls um, and then do appropriate key management, all these problems go away, literally overnight. In addition to that, if you remove static passwords, if we look at 90% of all breaches in the world, it starts with a password. Let's eradicate a static password and replace it with a one-time password. So my point is, if you start applying the basics... Suddenly, as an organization or as a board member, I'm 90% more secure than anyone else. That's Jason Hart, CTO for Enterprise and Cybersecurity at Gemalto. Thanks to them for underwriting this edition of CyberWire X. Be sure to visit gemalto.com slash cyberwire to learn more about their access management and data protection solutions, and also find out about the Breach Level Index, which tracks the volume and sources of stolen data records. That's gemalto.com slash cyberwire. 
And thanks to Dr. Christopher Pearson from Black Cloak and to Randy Sabet from Cooley LLP for sharing their expertise as well. CyberWire X is a production of the CyberWire and is proudly produced in Maryland at the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity startups and technologies. Our coordinating producer is Jennifer Iben. Our CyberWire editor is John Petrick. Technical editor is Chris Russell. Executive editor is Peter Kilpie. And I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. CyberWire X.